Creative Theory Podcast. Boom. What's up, people? Welcome to Creative Theory Podcast, the show that brings you conversations with visual artists about how they got to where they got, what their day-to-day is like, what their struggles are, thoughts in the heart world, and a lot, a lot more. Today in studio, very lucky to have this painter, production artist, animation art director at Creative Stunner Lab, and a plenary enthusiast and professional, Jesse Winchester Schmidt. Thank you so much for joining Hey, thanks, Ilya. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, it's truly an honor. I think ever since I ended up uh, coming to your gallery show, I've been a huge fan of, of your work. So it's an honor on my half. Uh, too kind, too kind. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I'm glad we were able to meet up uh, many times, but I feel like uh, with the busy lives, never got enough chance to really sit down and chat. But so I like that this is an excuse for me to do that. <laughs> Yeah, totally agree, man. I kind of feel like if timing was a little different in our lives, we would hang out more for sure. You know, I I have a kid at home and and, I think I'm a little older than you. Um, But if things were a little bit different, uh, I I would definitely want to hang out with you. So um, (laughs) this is great. Yeah, well, if uh, whenever it works out, we'll see. But as far as kind of the little intro in the beginning goes, uh, was that pretty accurate, you know? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You you got it. I work in animation. I do visual development. Uh, my title is art director, and uh, like you said, I'm a plein air enthusiast, uh, obsessive enthusiast for sure. I, I love it. When did you? Uh, the, that's one thing I don't think I ever asked you. When did you actually find out that that's what? I mean, whether you want to call it a calling or the love, how did you find out that's what really clicked with you? Mm, yeah, that's a long story. I I, I remember first enjoying it as a kid i remember taking my sketchbook outside and in particular one time i I think i was probably 12 and i sat down at a stream and i i drew the stream in pen and ink and i remember how good that felt i can even remember the drawing that resulted and of course it was not very good um but I used the wetness of the ink to kind of convey the splashiness of the water and that felt really cool. And just the experience of the connecting with the environment, with the nature, with the stream um, and trying to relay that or convey that through the art was something that I really liked. Um, And then in college, I I started painting more. Uh, I went to Sheridan college Um, But unfortunately, my teachers weren't very encouraging about my painting. I I had one painting class and and my teacher was not very encouraging. Um, He didn't like what I was doing. And and also the program was classical animation. So everything was very much focused on classically animating characters. And if you weren't doing that, then it was like character design. So I I was kind of led to believe that those were the things I needed to pursue. Fast forward like another eight years or so. And I was was working. I had been working full time, uh, mostly doing um, broadcast television, like um, preschool cartoons and stuff, design work on preschool cartoons. And you know, I was grateful for that. And, and I had kind of gotten over that initial hump of finding work in the industry. Um, 
but I was working really hard. Like I would wake up every morning at five and practice before I went into the studio and I would talk to other artists and they weren't working as hard yet. Mm -hmm. They were kind of making more progress. Like over the years I could see them getting better quicker than I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really frustrating. And uh, it got kind of scary after a while because the more I saw that happen, the more I just worked even harder. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem was I wasn't getting results. So then self-doubt really started to creep in. And, you know, I really started to question, like, am I good enough? And like, you know, what, what should I be doing? Am I, am I stupid for pursuing this further? Um, and then a turning point came when I applied to take Daisutsumi and Robert Kondo's Schoolism course. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when it was initially first offered through Schoolism. And it's a painting light and shadow course. It focuses on digital um, painting, but really it's, it's very, um, very much founded on principles, fundamentals and principles, which are applicable to any medium, being it be, be it digital or traditional. So I applied to that and I got in. And I was one of 10 people that got into that course. And it was nine weeks long. You get homework each week with a two, three hour lesson. And then you submit your homework and they review your work directly. So for anyone who doesn't know, Dice Tsumi and Robert Kondo, are both incredible artists and amazing people um you know they are together they art directed um monsters university and mm -hmm. toy story 3 um and they do incredible things like they started the sketchbook project where they drew in a sketchbook and then mailed it to other uh oh, renowned yeah. artists and they filled that sketchbook and then when it was done they um they auctioned that sketchbook and I believe it raised like six figures. And then that money was used to build schools in Africa. And the two of them actually went there and like helped physically build the schools. So, wow. you know, that gives some insight into what incredible people they are. Um, and their artistry, of course, being art directors at Pixar and having left there and started their own studio, mm -hmm. um, Tonko House. Um, their art is exceptional. So their course was a turning point for me and that some things clicked. Initially, it was like the, the way they structured that course was rigorous. There was a lot of painting. You know, each week we were doing like 10 still lifes um, in, in the beginning, 10 to 20 actually. Um, and, and they were all very like very strategic exercises, which over the weeks led to really what I can only describe as an epiphany in, oh. in understanding light and color and painting. And, and that was really amazing. But after some time looking back on the course, there was an even deeper, more impactful lesson, and it was how to effectively learn. Mm -hmm. and, and that changed my career. And I, I kept taking courses online and I kept I kept applying their effective learning strategies. Mm -hmm. And uh, around the same time, I, I had been doing some color keys work um, on Thomas the Tank Engine direct to DVD movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't freak out too much. I know it's pretty, pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I did a lot of tasks for that series, um, but color keys were definitely my favorite. Mm -hmm. And I had an amazing art director. I worked under an amazing art director at the time, Boris Andreev, 
shout out to Boris, uh, mm-hmm. an incredible production designer. He was born in Soviet Russia and he was trained as an artist in Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he was joking when he told me that in life drawing class, they hung uh, weights from their arms and made them wow. stand there for hours drawing, <laughs> uh, like super hardcore, rigorous, well. disciplined uh, approach to, to art. And there's mm-hmm. definitely something to be said for that because, of course, the Russian uh, history of, of art is some of the most exceptional yeah. uh, of, of anywhere, I think, of all, all time. Certainly, the, you know, the painting, Ilya Repin, mm-hmm. um, Shishkin, and, and everyone incredible work so he um i said to boris boris i love doing these color keys you know can i can i kind of be the color key guy at this studio um to which he responded well yes you like doing them but unfortunately your paintings are shit (laughs) Um, you know that one of the things i loved about boris is he was very honest but he even though he was blunt Mm -hmm. uh, he would follow that up with you know if you want to get better at doing color keys you have to go outside and paint there's no substitute to learning light and color how light interacts with form and with different materials um, than observing it from life and from nature photos are good you can learn lots from photos but photos are completely different they're already interpreting the subject the uh, exposure of photos is limited the color range of photos is limited. Um, so if you're serious about learning light and color, um, there's really no substitute to painting from life. So that was kind of, that was the tip that, that made me think, okay, I, you know, I need to get into this thing. And then with the Dyson Robert course, they kind of gave me um, a good foundation and understanding the, the foundational principles of, of painting. So of course, value and temperature, um, all these things. Um, and then how to approach learning effectively, which is essentially chunking. And, and we can talk about that more. So then I was kind of armed with an effective way to go out and learn. Um, and then all of a sudden my work ethic, which I had refined over probably a decade by that point, you know, my, I, I'll never, brag about talent or or ability but i i can say i work hard for Mm -hmm. sure um i know how to apply myself and then all of a sudden i started getting better results and that became really addictive you know as soon as people started responding positively to what i was doing it just sort of fueled my fire and because i really love plein air painting um because it is true to my heart and true to what I love doing, it just made sense. It's like, finally, I've found a path forward that works for me and um, people appreciate and is going to add value to me as a professional and, and make me uh, more employable. And uh, it just sort of took off from there. And I just kept taking more courses and going to as many workshops and seeking out the best teachers that I could. Um, And of course, when those people see strong work ethic and enthusiasm and a willingness to learn and uh, sort of leaving your ego at the door um, and just accepting that, you know, we have a lot to learn, um, people respond well to that because these masters out there that have gotten so good 
they really do want to pass it on. You know, that's a big part of making it all worth it is sharing the, the knowledge and paying it forward. So when these people find students who are willing to put in that effort, um, they're usually really happy to, to pay it forward and pass it on. And I've been really, really fortunate and I've capitalized on that. And uh, so I've kept going and I, you know, I've just sort of structured my life now so that um, basically there's three pillars in my life, family, art, and health. And in the art category, there's my day job working in animation. And if there's any other time, um, more so than TV, more so than I don't play video games, basically I've eliminated so many of the things that I enjoy for something I enjoy the most, which is plein air painting. Mm -hmm. So the, the journey continues, my friend. <laughs> Man, there's, that's, a, that's a lot to unload. Um, how is it so it seems like you found out that at the age of 12 you did like plein air painting and yet it took like to consciously realize that is actually what you need for yourself and maybe you could say even for your soul for your personal satisfaction that it took some time to because you knew that you liked it then but to yeah. that it really clicked only later why do you think why do you think it did later is it because people around you did not put value on that and so it was it was not apparent to you that like, I don't know, do you think it's role models? What is it? Why do you think it took some time to get there? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's one that I've been asking myself and uh, I, I've come to a point where I kind of want to take ownership of that. Um, I, I would have appreciated more encouragement, especially from the teachers that I was paying a lot of tuition to do just that, to encourage and to guide me. Um, that would have been my preference. However, um, I want to own that I allowed that to discourage me and that I was trying to be something that I am not. I, I allowed myself to believe that I needed to be a character designer, um, which I struggled with so for so many years. That still to this day, I, I enjoy drawing characters, but it's not, uh, it's not my strength. It's not my specialty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I dabble in it professionally, but you know, when it comes to making a movie, I'm going to hire or ask to hire uh, really great character designers and work with them. Um, so, you know, I think I was young when I started college. I, I was 19 and I just, I didn't know myself well mm -hmm. enough yet. I had some, some growth and self-understanding to go through and some confidence to earn and gain. And through that personal process of getting to understand who I am, what I enjoy doing, um, where I want to take my life and the confidence to sort of believe that I, I can just do what I want to do. I can pursue my passion um, and make that work that I, I don't have to do what other people succeed at doing. In fact, that doesn't, work and, and that's yeah. dangerous and I, I think that danger is maybe emphasized more with social media there's so many great things that social media does for us but it can also emphasize what's working for other people so but in fact it's like encouraging that danger right it's almost encouraging people to try to fit the mold even more right yeah for sure the algorithms do exactly that in in that there's certain things that the public responds to more if if you want more followers online then do disney remix sexy princesses <laughs> every yep. day 
um, just pump them out and post them all the time. Uh, you know, here's sexy, um, gender bending Aladdin. Um, you know, here, here's uh, furry beast. Uh, you know, and just do that every day and you'll, you'll crush it for sure. Um, but you might crush your soul as well. <laughs> you know, I, I think, really love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we all got into this art thing because we're passionate about it. Yeah. So it only makes sense to find a way forward that really supports uh, and nurtures that, that passion. But your advice about, um, or what you're saying earlier about how to kind of either find out yourself and realize that you don't actually need to do what everyone does or is told to do to get in. And I think it's especially harder when uh, you are in a situation like yourself where you love fine art a lot and they can re relate to it as well where like if you're that guy like all of a sudden this animation community you're probably a little bit more unique than everyone else because i think more more people get into it and they actually love just just doing character designs of disney characters maybe maybe that's their thing and so learning how to uh, realize that what you like and is actually good or like it's better for yourself and in fact you'll find your um people you'll find more value in yourself and people will find it in you too when you pursue that. But it's so hard. And I think I've only maybe realized in the last couple of years and not even fully that learning to accept that what you like is good and there's a place for that and you should follow that. But that's so, that is so challenging and I don't know where it can come from. I mean, hopefully this podcast can help, you know, people can listen to you and maybe they'll take that advice, but that is tough. Yeah. That is tough. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree and, and relate um, yeah, so for everyone out there listening, it's worth it. It's totally worth it to pursue your, your passion and know that there's going to be all sorts of challenges along the way. But the truth is, whatever path we choose, especially in art, you know, if we're going to find a way to make a living in art, it's going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. So whether you do what other people expect of you or what you are most passionate about, it's going to be hard. So, you know, in, in taking the path of following your passion, at least it's worth all the struggles and, and all the failures that are associated with success mm -hmm. in the long term. So, yeah, keep, keep at it. And it just it gets more and more fun for sure. And the veterans that I really admire, it really seems that that process it is still very much alive in, in them. In, in mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the old cliche. It's not, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And it's like, mm -hmm. really, are we doing this because we want the result of a excellent drawing that everyone pats us on the back for, or is it because we enjoy the process of creating and which then results in that, that drawing mm -hmm. um, and kind of, on, in a broader sense that, you know, the process of refining ourselves as artists and, and figuring out how to improve and, and going through that, that process, really that I think is what so many of us in, enjoy and the more we can embrace that and the more we stay in that mode, um, you know, the further I think we go in our careers, um, and, and the less chance there is of us kind of settling into um, a comfortable position in our career, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it's very easy once you start making decent money to say, well, I'm good, yeah. you know, and to kind of let the passion 
die down and and um, get comfortable. Get yeah. comfortable, yeah, for sure. But yeah. you know, when I look at artists, I really admire they're keeping themselves super challenged. They're experimenting. They're failing. Mm-hmm. They're just as hungry. And to me, it's it's pretty evident we need to find a way to keep that hunger and that curiosity very much alive. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to be uh, very much result based or result focused. You know, the fact that you're mentioning, you know, that you said the cliche that it's not the journey, it's not the destination, or it is a journey, not the destination. And yet, at the same time, you know, I think, like you said, everyone wants to see a pretty painting in the end. And uh, I think even that in its own and mixed with social media is a challenge to not focus on, you know, here's a painting I made, here's a bunch of pats on the back. And that's very tricky. And and so going away from that, I don't know if you have any advice in that area, just because learning takes time and it may take 10 years to get to a point where, or, you know, maybe a year for some, whatever, whatever it takes, but to really get to yeah. that level where you feel uh, to be good, you have to forget about, you know, you're probably not going to feel that great about a drawing or a painting every day. And that's challenging. Exactly. Well. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right, man. I, I think about that a lot. And, and to me, really at its core that this is like a sociological and spiritual issue the whole western world (laughs) is very results orientated and and we're very focused on individualism and materialism and all these factors kind of mold our expectation that we need results now Um, and our brains are getting very used to having stimulus and payoff instant gratification all the time and that's not how art works it's a it's a long journey for sure um so first of all just being aware that that of of that situation Mm -hmm. that you know the way we think in the western world is not the only way to think um and and that our brain is constantly being exposed to stimulus and instant gratification and that's not necessarily um, the most nurturing mode for creativity Um, Mm -hmm. you know something that takes real deep concentration for long periods of time um, you know youtube and and things like that are not necessarily helping us um, cultivate a, a psyche Um, that is happy to sit for hours problem solving and struggling through a drawing that just isn't working. Um, So I think, you know, for me, just realizing that we're up against that or we're in this situation, um, being aware and and just being curious and observing ourselves and how we respond to um, our habits and how that's affecting our creativity that's kind of step one and, and then the solutions and, and how to um, navigate through that, I think is, is up to the individual and, and certain things work for certain people. Um, yeah. a, lot, a lot of it sounds like it, it, in some ways you have to kill the ego for quite a lot because as oh, artists, I totally agree that. Yeah. because we need to, well, you know, we artists make, work and we want to be recognized for them as individuals like you said so it seems inherent like i think you need some of that in order some of that helps for the drive because you want to share who you are or how you see the world so there's some good in it but at the same time uh, being associated with your work 
can be like a, an enemy. Actually, what we talked about on a previous podcast with Taylor is how much kind of one's identity is determined by their craft, right? You know, it doesn't even have to be artists, you know, there's other people who yep. value themselves in their work. So, oh, totally. um, I mean, maybe that's a question for you. How much does being an artist determine who you are and how does it affect mm-hmm. the ego, right? Oh, man, great, great stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very, very much so, man. I, I mean, ego is such an interesting topic. My wife is a psychologist, um, so I, you know, I learn a lot from, from her. Yeah, ego's not all bad, for sure. It's definitely a very valuable thing. Um, but it can be dangerous for sure. So how much do I associate myself with my work or my artistry? Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot for sure. And my, and my hard work, um, my, my work ethic and my contribution to my family, um, I very much keep that very closely associated with myself work. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be very good in that it's motivating. I, I gain a lot of energy um, and am able to accomplish a lot being driven by that force. And that, that is ego. You know, I don't want to disappoint my family. I, I want to be someone that my family appreciates and my, my child can look up to and my wife can be grateful for. Um, but at the same time, a danger there could be if I lose my job and I believe my job is my worth, yeah. I cannot allow a situation that's outside of my control to devastate me or cripple mm-hmm. me. You know, if something, if that's all it takes for me to completely self implode, um, then that's really, really risky, right? And in, in our careers in the animation industry, changing jobs is something we need to get used to. It's like, um, hopping stones across a river right like you're just you have to be nimble and be willing to shift around and and change with the times yeah. um <laughs> no yeah. way to avoid it i guess huh it's just it's just how yeah. much of that list de- defines you then i think so i i to me awareness is a really good start for sure mm-hmm. you know just just being curious reflecting lo- looking at oneself you know questioning exactly what you just questioned for all of us to be observing ourselves and and understanding how how much we allow our job our artistry our craft our income our looks our you know our good looks or our bad looks whatever we were born with mm-hmm. however much we allow that stuff to define us if we're just observing that it then allows us to make some decisions based on what we're observing. And I, you know, I think that's a really good start. And then that, then it comes down to the individual. What kind of decisions do you want to make based on those observations? Um, I want to share a specific example about being results orientated versus being process orientated. Um, Job interviews. This is something I've gotten good at. I'll, I'll brag there. I like job <laughs> interviews. I tend to interview well. Uh, and that got a lot better for me when I switched my strategy. It used to be that a job interview was a 
little game or a challenge and the objective was to land a job and that's very results orientated and that that's kind of what we're taught and that it's very parallel with western results orientated thinking i switched my game plan and i switched my thought process there the goal to this is an opportunity to establish a relationship when I walk out of that interview, I'm going to know a new person and they're going to know me a little bit better and we're going to have a connection. And that's more process orientated. So, you know, what does that mean to establish the connection? Well, I probably want to have some thoughtful questions for them. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to research who's going to be interviewing me ahead of time. And I'm going to find out that, oh, on their Facebook they liked to go fishing and guess what? I grew up fishing with my dad. So right away, that's something to talk about. You know, we can, you know, do you fly fish? Do you reel cast? Where do you go? What kind of fish do you catch? Um, I'm looking for any, any genuine connection. I'm not trying to fake anything. I'm trying to find those common grounds Mm -hmm. of interest that will engage both of us into a, a genuine conversation. And, all of a sudden the results improve by focusing on, on process. You can see right away that going into an interview and, and building a connection with someone and then walking away, having felt that your odds of landing the job are much better. If there was other candidates and there usually are who have a stronger portfolio but those people did not connect as well. You know, who's the interviewer? Who are they going to be thinking about? They're going to be yeah, thinking exactly. about the person they connected with. And it, it, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to fake anything because it, it really is about a genuine connection. But I, I think, you know, for, I encourage people to try that out. And it doesn't have to be a job interview. It can be any sort of interaction between you and your boss if you're trying to get a raise, if you're trying to get a promotion, um, you know, if you think about what, if you put yourself in the position of your boss and think about, you know, what are they going through and, and what would it take? What does that person need to see before they're going to be like, well, I'm just going to promote that person because (laughs) that's making my life easier and what needs to happen. That's very process orientated. So, you know, if we identify the accomplishments, the specific uh, results that we want, that's a good thing. But then more effectively, if we can, if we can figure out or at least try um, processes and focus on processes that lead in that direction, I, I bet you you're going to see better results in your life. So hopefully the interview one makes sense. But if you just think about any result that you want in your life and, and then translate it into processes and and focus your attention there. Um, I think you're going to see results. I think I first learned that from uh, um, listening to um, John Wooden, who is a UCLA basketball coach. Bobby Chu sent me a a podcast of his back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, And he was talking about his philosophy on the court. And he, I is, I'm going to get the, specifics wrong here but that that basketball team was on like a severe losing streak for decades 
mm-hmm. and then they hired John Madden, and then they won like three out of the next five NCAA championships. Crazy. So clearly, something he was doing was resulting in mm-hmm. victory. But he was very process orientated, and that healthy process resulted in um, championships. Yeah. That's some really good advice. At the same time, though, you're talking about how hard you push yourself and how much work you put into art. And I think, I, yeah, I heard that on another interview you did. Um, do you, I mean, I know we just talked about process, but do you still put, create goals for yourself in, in, in a larger scheme? For example, you know, uh, here we are making art. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it may be difficult totally. to not create art and not for example, think, okay, you know, in 10 years, there's going to be a book or I'm going to eventually I'll yeah. make an art show or, you know, a short film. So, uh, cause otherwise some, and I, maybe that's the, those mind tricks once again, or like a, not even tricks, just an approach to art thinking that all this practice that you're putting into it, it's not for nothing because one, you like it, yes. but also, but do you want something out of it? Right. And, you know, like you said, yeah. there's still human in there. <laughs> do you still want something yeah. out of it? And what oh, do you totally. want out of it for yourself? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's fun stuff, right? Like thinking about what the best version of ourself is in 10, 20 years and, you know, how awesome life could be is so exciting and so fun. So yeah, for sure. I, I'm very goal orientated. Um, I find what works for me is that for long-term goals, I, I keep them pretty general and very value orientated. So, you know, life goals, career goals, it's like I want to be involved in exceptional projects with exceptional people. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a broad value. You know, it's not like um it's not like I'm specifying um exactly, you know, what studio I want to work with. Or, or anything that specific because 10, 20 years from now, who knows, you know, yeah. we could be working in space, you know, <laughs> new. And yeah. many, there's so many variables. I can't wrap my head around what's going to happen. But if I understand the values that are important to me in this lifetime, uh, as I move forward, I can weigh my decisions against those broad values. Um, shorter term, I'm, I'm very specific with my goals for sure. And I've been learning a lot about, super short-term goals, even down to like two-hour goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I spent a couple years, two years working in mobile games, um, and I got out. The money was incredible, um, but it was definitely not working for my passion and my soul. Yeah. Uh, but one really great thing I got out of it is because mobile games are very technology-driven, um, because they come from the technology industry, um, there's there's a work philosophy that came out of Silicon Valley called the Lean Startup, Agile Business Development. Mm-hmm. And um, I moved into a management position in a large uh, international studio. And um, with that came the encouragement to learn this approach to business. So I, I read the main book, uh, The Lean Business mm-hmm. uh, Startup. And it's very much um, specific to technology-driven companies, like building apps, um, building software. And essentially what it is, is you set a goal and and create a uh, MVP, a minimum viable product. Um, So basically the simplest 
quickest version of what your big idea is and you get that to market, meaning you share it with the public as quickly as possible and then you assess their experience and start iterating right away. So you're getting a feedback from your customer right away. Mm -hmm. The old way of thinking is like, oh, the goal is to build a car. We're going to hire the best and spend two years building the best car. Um, so there's a huge investment on a, um, on a, on a gamble that risk, yeah. what your vision is, is going to work for your consumer or your customer. So, you know, that was big in mobile development, mobile games, especially because they have analytics. Every, if you don't yeah. know when you're playing a game, the systems are watching everything. Every data, right? Everything. Every single yeah. interaction you have is being logged and they have, data analysts whose job it is to figure out how to make more money off of your experience. And, and they do little tweaks and then they do AB tests. You know, we'll give half the people this is, is this experience and half the people that experience and see which one results in a little bit more money coming in. And through that process, they refine the ultimate money making machine. So that that was the direct learning but then what i took away from that is is testing ideas quicker um and they do something called sprinting so it's like you're you have a team huddle and you break down your day into sprints or your week into sprints and it's just little like chunks of time and and you yourself define what you're going to accomplish in that time so mm -hmm. this i found really really effective in uh deadline based creative work that is animation production design. So um, especially being an art director, of course, there is, you know, a management side, there's a lot of meetings, I deal with clients. Mm -hmm. and, and then I'm meant to like sit down and come up with drawings that have to inspire a lot of, of people, both our team and clients. And, and that can be hard, that can be tricky. Mm -hmm. So what, what I've learned that has really helped is, is I'll set these short-term goals and it's like, okay, in this two hour period, what I'm going to accomplish is um, a feeling of uh, joy with like 10% apprehension in this composition. And I'm going to um, assess that after 20 minutes in thumbnails and then mm -hmm. go from there. So then I make sure YouTube's off. Uh, if I'm listening to music, it's instrumental basically I, I put myself in the zone. I don't answer emails. If anyone comes to talk to me, I say, Hey, th this is important to me. Uh, I, I do want to um, talk to you about this. Can we catch up in half an hour? So basically I protect that little 20, 30 minute chunk of time. And I focus on that goal and every line I make, every brushstroke I make is an attempt of accomplishing um, that feeling of excitement with 10% apprehension. So I'm looking for shapes, values, everything I can that supports that goal. And then I stop, I take a break, I look out the window, I go for a walk, I go talk to that person that needed to talk to me, I grab a coffee, I come back and I assess out of these thumbnails, which is working and why and what isn't working. Um, and, and that works really, really well for me. And then I get multiple things going at in one day. Um, so I'll jump back and forth between tasks. I'll be working on an environment design and then color keys. And I'll, mm -hmm. you know, I'll do half an hour of one and then half an hour of another. 
And every time I switch back and forth, I see it with a fresh eye and that allows me to be a little more objective and, and uh, constructively critical of, of my work. Um, so that really, really helps. And I think that's uh, some advice I'll have to take from you. That's, that's a really good uh, yeah, it's not easy. approach. It. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely, I get into what I think is the zone and two, three hours will pass if there's no interruptions. Um, but how many times are we working on an illustration, a painting, a piece of visual development, and we're laboring something that we're finding difficult. Like, oh, I just can't get this piece of anatomy right, or I just can't mm -hmm. get this color right, or this lighting right. And then at the end of the process, when we, when we share that work, what we were laboring isn't even what <laughs> impacts the audience. Mm -hmm. For me, that's all the time. Yeah. Um, so I've noticed that if, if I break down every minute that I invest into an illustration, how many of those minutes were focused on what actually ends up affecting the person who looks at it. Yeah. And that goes especially for filmmaking. Um, so it, you know, that's sort of an approach of efficiency and, and image making is, you know, first of all, you have to know what the goal is. Um, and it, if we're working in animation, there's a script and there's a director and, yeah. You know, you better be reading that script and talking to the director or your supervisor to understand what the specific goal is for, be it a prop you're designing or a color key or a character design, whatever it is, there's a goal and a role that that asset plays within the story. Um, so, you know, we need to be aware of what that is and weigh every decision against that. And, and the good thing, the real advantage of this mindset is you don't have to be as good as you once thought you had to be. Um, that's hmm. something that, that Dyson Robert really exposed for me. It, art is not about perfection. It's about feeling. Mm -hmm. and, and when you're clear, when you're designing um, with clear intention and you're weighing all of your decisions against that intention, inevitably the results are going to be more effective and that feeling is going to come through more. Whatever that feeling was, whatever that intention was, is, is going to be communicated to your audience. And if your drawing isn't the best or your painting isn't the best, but that feeling is coming through, you're making powerful art. And to me, that's so liberating. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that craft isn't important. Of course, we, we need to get better. We need to strive for excellence in our craft. But along the way, um, I mean, we're never going to feel like we're, we're good enough. There's always going to be artists who are better. I'm totally. never going to paint anywhere near as well as John Singer Sargent, not even a fraction. Um, but if along the way I can be clear in what it is I'm aiming at in each piece I do and effectively communicate that, uh, it's, it's going to impact the audience more and and be more rewarding for me my effort is gonna yield better results and less frustration do you think actually i, I just had this uh, i was gonna ask something else but do you think actually john singer Sargent, what he painted do you think he went for his um, approach to the same way you're saying try to tell a story or do you think it was craft <laughs> this is i like think a both yeah yeah i think so, so. Much I mean, he, for hire yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know he resented the art for hire. Like, mm -hmm. he, you know, he's known for the portraiture and he's maybe the best that ever did it. And he was 
highly sought for. Um, but his passion was to get outside and, and play Those in air sketch. Right? Yeah. Phenomenal oh, stuff. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it was both. I mean, clearly his craft was so well refined. Technically he's a superb artist. Yeah. Um, but I know definitely he was a storyteller as well. He, he was cheeky too. I love, <laughs> there's one painting in particular that he did. It's, it's these two kids sitting on a red carpet and it's one of his formal um, oil portraits for royalty. And it, it, from what I understand it, he did it. He created that painting at a time when he was resentful of, of, that career and and the aristocrats that he was working for and so he was paid to paint some you know wealthy uh monarch's children and he did this incredible painting technically it is so so strong but he painted them in this like low-key um dramatic like the shadows are really deep yeah, like um, dark brown i think right in the back yeah totally yeah. yeah and the composition is kind of like jeering and weird <laughs> and there's this like unsettling angles and what it results in is the feeling right away when you look at that painting is like those are demon children yeah, like those yeah. children are plotting <laughs> to murder you while you're sleeping and there's nothing that the client could say is technically uh, it was a superb painting. And, and let's face it, you know, the people who are spending that type of money on art don't necessarily know what they're paying for. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Um, so he kind of like, yeah, he, he's kind of trolling the client, I think. And, yeah. and uh, so I don't know that I think he was into craft and he was into storytelling and conveying feeling uh, both for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're familiar with his watercolors. Yeah. His, his uh, his watercolor painting of the alligators. Dude, the I was just water. gonna say that's my favorite. I think that's my. It's, I was just gonna say that it's the best. It, Dude, I'm a big believer in master studies. That has been really, really helpful in my personal development. Yeah. And I'm. I have not. I have not even begun to try and study that piece because I. I can't. I can't even begin to start to consider how it is he executed that yeah. painting. It's so, so technically difficult. The amount yeah, of complexity in those little shapes, yeah. It's so hard, it's so hard. And then he yeah, did an incredible job of leaving the whites, like the, the, oh. the it's just, yeah, it's. <laughs> it's <laughs> For people who are listening, look it up. Just John Singer Sergeant Alligators is gonna come up right away. Yeah, it's Alligators crazy. and Muddy Water. It's insane for sure. <sighs> I, I found a book of his, actually, uh, it, is this podcast video or it's just audio? Uh, just audio, trying to keep oh, Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I should loan you this book I, I found in a used bookstore once. It's an out of print um, mm -hmm. uh, collection of his watercolor paintings and it, it was printed on this uh, press in Japan which I guess was famous uh, mm -hmm. for its incredible color. Um, but the, the prints in it are just incredible. And it has a lot of his sketches that I've never seen online mm -hmm. or, or anything. There's even one he did in, in British Columbia, which is really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was here briefly, apparently. And, and that one's awesome. It's like a, it's a camping scene with a man cooking over a fire and a tent. Um, and it's a, a loose watercolor painting, uh, but it's just incredible.
<laughs> like all of I really, his work. I really like the one um, where I think where his storytelling really showed is uh, um, of soldiers who are blinded um, in, in the oh, war man. and they're walking one behind the other. That's that's a powerful painting, and I I think it's I really so check moving. that out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really I, 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 I swayed this podcast a different direction. I want to tell you, let's, let's get back to you. <laughs> uh, so it seems that you, earlier you mentioned how when you're in school, you found yourself, you know, having to do whether it was character design, but or animation and designs for animation, you felt like it was yeah. your, where they're saying it was coming difficult to you, but you found yourself split between kind of the, the types of art you wanted to do. And, you know, these days you're still, you know, you're art directing in a digital whatever animation industry. Yep. And yet it seems like everything you show online and the things you do when you go home are, you know, it's plein air painting environment. Yeah, so it's, it's, not it's, that. It, it's so it's, it's just not that it's so far removed. So, you know, from the beginning, you know, years ago when you're in school to now, do you feel like you're still split split between kind of personal desires and career or have you found mm-hmm. a way to, I, mean, I don't know, are they, are they kind of married together? How, how do you see that in yourself? Great questions, man. I, I really appreciate that these questions are questions that are really important for me to consider and ponder in my life. Um, so good stuff, man. That's what I yeah, ponder I, too, so. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. These are really important things to consider. Um, a little bit, a, a little bit, but, you know, honestly, more and more, um, the work I do in my spare time, um, which is the stuff I'm allowed to post, and the work that I do in my day job, which I'm not allowed to share, um, they're very complementing, as different as they are. Mm-hmm. Plain Air has really helped me learn how to create or design with intention because Plain Air is overwhelmingly complex. Anytime I sit in the forest and try and figure out what it is I want to convey, it can be overwhelming. So you, it really, if you're going to succeed with any sort of consistency, you, you have to learn to commit to intention and be willing to let go of everything else. Otherwise you will fail and fail a lot. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a busy scene and I go, okay, I love how the light is hitting that rock. And I start to paint and the light changes and it's no longer hitting that rock. It's hitting a log or the water. And I chase that and I keep adding new interests into the same piece. What happens is where I started a painting that was about one thing. It's now become, oh, it's about the light hitting the rock, the light hitting the water. Oh, and I also like that tree. Um, And then, oh, check out uh, what the sky (laughs) was doing. So if you make it about everything, you make it about nothing. And that's not to say that a painting or an image can't have layers of interest. Um, The best ones do, but it's important to commit. And, and so plain air, that, that approach is absolutely crucial to succeed. And that approach is really advantageous in animation design. So there's, there's these direct complements of these two crafts and, when I first started really committing to plain air, it wasn't all that popular in animation from what I could tell. It was kind of a, an obscure thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of momentum. I think I'm seeing a lot more of it come out of oh, yeah. the animation industry now with people like you know Zach Retz being into it mm-hmm. um, and setting such a, a great example. It's becoming more clear that it is 
such a complementary craft. To me, it, it's life drawing to a character designer uh, is oh, plein yeah. air painting to a color key artist or an environment designer. Totally. Um, so, yeah, to, to me, they're so complementing and, and it's relief from each other. You know, mm. I, I love the work I do in the studio, but sitting at a computer staring at a screen is tough on the body, especially after, you know, a decade plus. Um, whereas, you know, getting outside hiking up a mountain and standing up and getting the blood circulating and breathing oxygen rich air, uh, is so good for, for the body. So it, it kind of, it's, uh, it's like medicine to the, the tough things about, uh, a, a sediment lifestyle, uh, you yeah. know, sitting at a computer for, for long periods of time. So I mean, I feel a little bit divided in, in that some days I want to play an air paint because it's a beautiful yeah. day, but I need to go <laughs> into the studio. I yeah. just, I try not to feel sorry for myself, you know, like, oh, poor me. <laughs> I got to go work on a feature film and yeah. paint color keys. Boo hoo, right? <laughs> but is there a reason you don't do the kind of work you do at work at home? Um, yeah, because I don't want to sit. If I only sat at a computer, uh, I would be less happy. But what if it was traditional? Uh, like visual development, traditional? The reason, so this is why I ask, and this is because like sometimes I, I wonder, you know, there's certain things I'm really happy to do at work and design, you know, all kinds of things. But if I had a choice, it would not be the first thing I would choose to do at home. So then my, I question myself and how much I like this thing. If, that's, mm. if, I'm, if I'm trying to pursue it and I, you know, I, I say I want to do it for work, but then I don't want to do it at home. Sometimes right. I wonder, it's like, is that really what I like? You know, so, mm. and then I guess the answer to this could be that, well, you don't have to do the same thing here and there, but I just, I wonder. So that's why I ask you, like, is there a reason yeah. you don't, don't, because if you love visual development so much, why don't you, or why don't you like go home and you could like design more, whatever space, you know, you name it, more yeah. castles or something like that. Yeah, totally. Well, I do a bit. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm actually working on uh, a, a project at, at home and at the studio. I'm, I'm fortunate that my employers are, are paying me to develop a project and mm -hmm. some of that is done from home. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of that is visual development as, as well as writing. So I do, but oh, I, well. I just don't share it because okay. you know, it's, uh, it's uh, intellectual property, whatever. But uh, I do, I, I go through phases. Um, it's just I, I like variety. My, my personality type totally. is I get bored. Um, so if I do one thing all day, I want to do something else at night. And they are so complimenting. So that, that works. I also think, you know, I, I, I know what the, the, the broad values are in the long term. And I make sure that what I'm doing at home and what I'm doing at work are in support of those values. So that's kind of how I evaluate if I'm unsure should I be doing this or should I be doing that um, with my spare time? Well, I, I weighed against those broader values um, to try and make the best decision. Um, but also there's something else is that I've been paying attention to um, intake versus output in, in my artistry. So the way I see it, it's like my, my day job working in animation, it, it's output. I'm expected to mm -hmm. deliver on time, on budget, uh, specific product, you know, there's, there's room for creative freedom, but essentially I'm outputting. Mm -hmm. 
there's there's another side to art and it's it's inputting information studying intaking taking in the world observing being curious um and you can see on really healthy feature films you know disney being really famous for this they there's a huge part of their process where those artists go and study the animals go on trips and and that's the intake part of it and it's so crucial that if you're going to output something that is unique and interesting that you're you know really passionate about that's not regurgitating what has been popular previously but actually contributing something new to mm-hmm. you know the animation landscape um it a lot of that really comes from digesting information and and taking the time to um, consider and observe. So part of the reason why I'm not doing biz dev in my spare time is, is that's more output. It's me. Mm-hmm. It's me trying to create something interesting. I need to make sure there's a chunk of my week that's spent um, consuming interest. Yeah. And when it comes to intake there, you can, you can intake junk food or you could intake, uh, nutrition for sure. Right. Yeah. So I, I intake a little bit of junk food. I, you know, I watch the odd prank video on YouTube and I know that's <laughs> junk food. It's not nutritious for my creativity. Um, so I make sure that the majority of my meal plan of my intake is really nutritious, uh, uh, information. So for me, that's getting outside into the forest, up the mountains, mm-hmm. onto the rivers, and observing nature it, it it's exciting and it feels really good and it makes me think deeply and it challenges me um so that in input that intake uh it is really quality intake so I, I definitely encourage all artists to observe yourself and and how much time do you spend outputting creating images for the sake of a result um versus inputting you know, digesting information. And both of those can be through the process of drawing. It's kind of the difference between um, creating a final illustration versus uh, engaging in a study, Mm -hmm. right? Setting up a still life and studying it or going to life drawing and studying it. Um, So, you know, what observe yourself and see what kind of ratio that's at. And if, if it's a hundred percent output, I definitely encourage you to get some input going on. Go to life drawing. If you can't go to life drawing, then go to a cafe when you're not in lockdown or, (laughs) you know, just even instead of just watching a movie, um, turn on a movie, but hit pause and do little, you know, two minute, five minute, 10 minute gestures of if you're a character designer, the characters, if you're a landscape um, designer than, than that or to me I love studying composition from, from films like how how are they composing the shot to tell the story they want to tell with the mood that they, they intend that's really interesting so that's input to me so mm-hmm. that's part of it is you know I'm trying to be really aware of how I spend my precious spare time um, how that ends up affecting my both my happiness and my artistry and and just being aware of that input quality is a big part of it. Sounds like you have such a healthy relationship with your, what your work is. And it seems like uh, it's satisfying what you need to get out of your output. 
because I think uh, maybe it, it may be tricky when if you're not there yet in your work situation where your what your creative output is what you want it to be. It's like you're yes. you know, depending on the project that you're on. Yes, and I've been there. I've, that's, you know, that's the I've tricky spent part. Many, many, many years in that position, and mm-hmm. I'll be there again. You know, and and like I'm really, really lucky and really grateful. But there's some days where <clears throat> I'm not enjoying the task that I need mm-hmm. to do uh, in in my day job. Um, that happens. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, with some effective strategies and and some experience, I've gotten to a point where nine. 90% of the time when I'm at work, I'm, I'm pretty stoked on what I'm doing. So, That's you know, amazing. yeah, I'm super, super grateful for sure. It has not come easy. You know, I've, I've failed so hard and so many times. <laughs> we could talk about that if, if you want. Um, but just, you know, to the artists that are, are not at the point where your career is super fulfilling, um, you know, I, I taught for at Vancouver film school for a while and, a lot of the times the, the graduates are taking a job as like a cleanup artist or like something that was pretty common. I've seen a lot was a um, like rigging 2d characters um, for, for cartoons. Yeah. You know, the, this person wants to draw for a living and what they're doing is they're taking someone else's drawings and setting up a, a skeletal rig system yeah. um, for for a production and it's a way in the door it's a way to, to establish a relationship with the studio it's a way to learn process and pipeline um it, it's an in and and that's a good thing so you have to find a way in that situation to stay motivated enough that in when you're not at work you're finding time you're making time consistent time every day uh, be it half an hour or better yet two hours uh, to get better at what it is you really love doing. Mm-hmm. And eventually you'll get noticed for that. And eventually it pays off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I know I have a lot of questions, but I know we're running out of time. I, uh, I'll uh, throw this one at you and then I, uh, I understand we'll have to, have to let you go, but I'd love to have you on again. I know uh, yeah, time is limited, but hopefully find more. Um, I always ask this one, uh, what advice do you wish you got before you went to post-secondary school? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I did get some really good advice um, from my grandma, my grandma Mabel, who I, I named my daughter after. Mm-hmm. And uh, right before I left for college, so I, I grew up here, I grew up just outside of Vancouver. And then uh, I was about to turn 19 and I moved out to Ontario to attend Sheridan uh so pretty young tender age uh I was definitely young and stupid for sure my grandma pulled me aside and was like you know your whole life the people that you spent time with are just the people that happen to be near you your friends are just the kids that happen to be at your school or the kids that lived on your street and you know you were born into your family this is an opportunity to decide what type of people you want to spend your time with. So think about what type of people that is, what type of person that is and go find them. And uh, that was incredible advice. It, it, oh. it turned it into a game in my head. And uh, I thought about who that person was and I, I essentially visualized a mentor. I wanted mm-hmm. to find a really great mentor 
and I knew they were passionate. I knew they were a really great artist and I got to Sheridan and I started looking for this mentor and I couldn't find them. And, uh, some time passed and I was just sort of like getting used to being out on my own and cooking and cleaning and doing laundry and all that. And all the while looking for this mentor and it wasn't happening. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll leave out some parts of this story. I think I was going to go somewhere, but I don't, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, through a strange turn of events, I ended up on this couch and, uh, I was with some friends. We we're kind of hanging out. I, I wasn't, uh, at, at the time, I, like school was just getting started. So I didn't have homework or anything. I was just socializing, hanging yeah. out. That was, I was a very social teenager. I, I partied a lot. I hung out a lot. That was something I needed to get out of my system. And, and for a long time, certainly mm -hmm. through my twenties was definitely an issue for me. It, <laughs> it definitely, um, held me back in many ways like having friends is great it's just the way i was spending my time was not helping always but any anyway at this moment I, I was socializing hanging out sitting on this couch and then this guy came out of his bedroom um who, whose home we were in and he walked into the room and he kind of scanned all of our eyes and then he he looked at us with this intensity and he's like hey are you guys artists? I'm like, yeah. It's like, cool. I'm an artist too. How about we get up tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., meet back here, we'll do some drawing exercises, then we'll go to life drawing, then we'll come back here and we'll do some photo studies, and then tomorrow <laughs> night we'll go to life drawing, we'll set some goals, we'll hype it up. Are you guys in? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and everyone in the room just got so excited for this really intense passionate drive towards a disciplined approach towards art and I I didn't know it then but that was the person I was looking for and as I got to know them it was so clear that that was the mentor that I had been visualizing and I, mm -hmm. I'm so fortunate to have found that person and that person has mentored literally millions of people now it's it's Bobby Chu I was so lucky that I ended up on his couch and after realizing that was the guy uh this mentor that i knew i wanted to spend time with uh i i did everything it took to live with him and that meant that the following year my second year of college um he allowed me to pay him to live in his uh in his dining room <laughs> So I set up a, a tent because it was a, it was a two bedroom apartment. He had one bedroom, another person had a bedroom. Um, another person, Ben Plouffe, who's an amazing artist, art director, I think for Disney, he was in the living room. He just had a bed in the living room and I took the dining room and I set up a tent in the dining room and I lived there for a year. Um, and I worked hard and he mentored me and, uh, the following year I, I moved up in the world and I got the bedroom and, and I ended up living with Bobby for three years, I think. And then, yeah. you know, we finished college and he started Imaginism and uh, mm. yeah, exciting times. So that's interesting. All, how, I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. I was going to say, it's interesting I, how these little small things change your, uh, like how much that changed your life. Just that one advice, right? Life's really, really incredible like that, whether or not you, 
chalk things up to coincidence <clears throat> or believe in fate. Either way, however, however you want to explain it, life is really incredible. Um, and I, I do, I have observed consistently in my life that the more I understand what it is I'm after, and the more it is that I refine myself as a person to be worthy of those opportunities, to, to be the best version of myself, which is not always easy because, you know, I've got all sorts of issues and flaws that I'm, I'm constantly trying to work on. The more I'm aware of that and engaged in that process, the more those opportunities seem to work out and, and find me and to, I definitely want all the artists listening to have fulfilling careers and, and have the opportunity to spend their life creating art and attract opportunities and make enough money so that it's not a stressful issue and get into a position where their work is fulfilling. Um, so, you know, I, I encourage you all to know what it is you're after and to figure out effective learning strategies to get better at that and to believe in yourself enough to spend those extra hours every day knowing that it will lead you in that direction and that it's totally worth the struggle. And the failures are just, they're an inevitable part of the process that, you know, it's just the universe asking, how bad do you want this? Because a lot of people will give up. But if yeah. you're willing to not give up and you're just, every time something bad happens or something confronts you that seems like a setback, if you just see it as like, oh, once again, I'm being asked, how bad do you want it? Well, guess what, universe? I want it this bad. And you're willing to keep going, maybe adjust your strategy or you know, do what you need to do, but you don't give up. Eventually, all of a sudden, 10 years has passed and that not giving up has paid off. And I think you know, over decades, that's how you go from mediocre to excellent at, at what you do. And, and maybe, you know, enjoying life to like truly, or being, being maybe even frustrated with life to moving in the direction of really enjoying who you are as a person and what your experience is here in this world and this lifetime, which goes pretty, goes quicker and quicker every day you're, you're here. At least it does for me, especially once you have kids. Wow. Oh, dude, that's so powerful. That was a, I mean, that, 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 that's so much, so much good. I really, I'm going to have to listen to this and <laughs> listen to this again. It's a really, really good advice. So I, good stuff, as man. always, I appreciate uh, talking to you so much. I, I, yeah. I, I feel like every time I talk to you, I feel like I do talk to a mentor. So I appreciate that you're very mm. introspective and yeah. I'm, I'm glad I have something to offer and, and I, it's nice to talk to you. I just, I, I've, I, it feels weird talking about myself, um, you know, for an hour straight. That's not usually <laughs> how I like to structure a dialogue for sure. No, that's what um, I wanted out of this. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Um, I enjoyed running into you that day when, when you joined me for a walk on the, on the yeah, trail yeah. with my daughter. Um, that was really nice. I hope we can do that again and hope yes, we can go yes, sketch please. together someday. That would, that would be great. Uh, I, I really hope so. That, that would be incredible. And then the, it, it seems to me like, uh, because you, you are very introspective and it seems like you, a lot of these challenges, uh, you have gone through, I think just speaking to you, it's, uh, uh for me and for many other reasons, but, uh, 
it is very, um, I guess you could say enlightening. So I'm just so happy that I could get you on this. And I, I hope that people are get to listen to this and really you get a lot out of it because uh, I really did. And I really appreciate it. You awesome, should, man. Uh, yeah. Pay, pay forward, man. It makes all the struggles. If, if I've shared anything of value, uh, I just ask you to, you know, people listening to pay it forward and, and mm-hmm. you know, do the same or it's easy to think that in a competitive industry like art or animation, that it's all us against each other, but actually the whole thing works better if we're supporting each other's success. And, you know, the more we pursue excellence in ourselves and support the community and their excellence, the better this whole thing becomes for sure. And it's just a, a more satisfying, fulfilling way to live. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad I have some value to share and awesome. I appreciate the platform. Are you going to do uh, any more fine art gallery shows? Um, seems not for a while. I'm doing, yeah, you know, I'm certainly still, not, uh, in the next month. Probably. Yeah. But, uh, I'm still, do, is that something you aspire to? You want to do more of those? I think I'd want to get back to it eventually. I've recently, I get maybe similar to what you're saying. I don't know. I don't know if it's getting bored, but I've recently set my sights on trying to see if I can make a short film. So I think if oh, I want to be, that's amazing, dude. If I want to be focused and, uh, I, I just look up to people. I look up to people a lot who are able to pursue these bigger, you know, big tasks because I think they're scary. And I think that's, to me, that's a reason worth doing it because it scares me. I don't know if I can do it. So I want to try to. And if I want to be serious about it, I think I need to, you know, put other things aside somewhat and just focus on one. Yep. Heck yeah, yeah man. That's, that's amazing. So. Very, very cool. I, I'd love to uh, talk to you about that. Maybe, you know, sometime <clears throat> in the future we can um, talk about that. I, you know, I'd love to hear your ideas and what you're thinking about. And I can show you this thing I've been developing um, because I, I would like, some outside feedback I've been kind of incubating on it for some time. I mean, my bosses okay. have seen it and, <laughs> and uh, you know, we're starting to pitch to studios, uh, investors and stuff, but it, you know, it's nice. Um, it's nice to talk to other artists for sure. So yeah, I'll, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm updating my uh, animatics. So I'll have a second one probably oh, you say got in a month. Animatic. Sweet yeah. dude. I, so yeah. Awesome. Good for you. You're making good progress. Thanks. Um, well, the reason why I asked, man, is that your, your gallery show was really something, man. It was really something. Like, you, you, you could have fooled me into thinking that you were a full-time devoted um, fine artist. That <laughs> the work, you have, a, you have a strong foundation of, of like, what feels like old-world traditional skill in, in your work. Um, and I, I mean that in, in the best way. Um, it's something that I wish there was more of in our industry. I, I think because digital is the medium these days <clears throat> and because we're results orientated and there's so many tutorials on, you know, how to, how to paint a character with cool color dodge effects, which is, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to skip over the, the, stuff that has been valuable for a thousand years and and you have such a strong grasp of that stuff in your work it was really inspiring to see that show and then to learn that you're working in the animation industry you've since become an art director right yes sir yes sir awesome (laughs) i have more questions about that for you well it makes sense dude 
it's an interesting thing. But you know, uh, the I think I mentioned this to you. The ironic part, and it is so strange. Uh, but I I think I've got did a pretty good job of not letting it affect me. But that show you've been to, I'm pretty sure out of like twenty something pieces, I sold maybe one or two. So like, what does that say? You know what I mean? Like uh, as we're talking about value of fine art, whether it's in our community or the industry, but uh, kind of like what we were speaking about earlier, it's I think you have to find what you like yourself and not let any of these things kind of affect it. But it was an interesting yeah. it was an interesting experience. You know, it was it was basically an experiment uh, where kind of like you're saying, you know, you could put um, like your your example of making a car versus like A/B testing. You know, maybe it's something that I didn't do. And mm. to be honest, I don't know if it's something I should do because it depends on my practice and I'm not, I wasn't making it to sell work. It's just that it's a nice byproduct when you create something. And exactly. Why, why did you do it, Ilya? Why did you make a gallery show? Why, before you did it, what was it in your head that said I should do a gallery show? I, I think it's a, the way I see it, I think it's a sign of a serious artist to be able to put together a, a a body of work which speaks to each other and speaks in a bigger message other than just, you know, instead of just making a single painting, because I think that's easy. But when you have to speak about something for, you know, over 15, 20 paintings and you have to tell a story and also the fact that you have to spend a year or more or, or on it and not get bored and keep fighting it and keep trying to understand why you're still trying to do it. That, that's what I look up to in people that they're capable of doing it. So I'm just trying to see if I, I can push myself to be one of those people well that was exactly my experience in attending your show that's what i got from it that was the value that i experienced having <laughs> attended it so <clears throat> you you accomplished exactly what it was you set out to accomplish if your goal was to sell out an art show you probably would have done things differently yeah. and you probably would have been less fulfilled even though you might have, oh, I don't know, you know, that's for you to determine. But, you know, if our goal is to sell paintings, that's a whole thing in itself, right? Like yeah. talk to fine artists who's, who have navigated that for decades. It's a whole thing, man. It's a whole thing. I remember a landscape painter tell me once, if you put one little um, aspect of, 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 people or human like if you if you paint a mountainscape mm -hmm. it will sell less than if you add a little hut apparently that was his opinion so that you know there's all these theories about what sells right and it depends on demographic and anyway like that's a whole thing man and like i i feel privileged i feel grateful that in my plein air painting i don't have to sell yeah. you know i don't i don't have to worry about and, and allow that expectation or that goal to drive my decisions you know so i guess my real point is like i'm glad that you're not allowing yourself to weigh the value of that experience against how many paintings sold yeah. um, because what you did was exceptional and and a lot of people saw it and a lot of people took notice and you can see yourself as an artist and a person having grown and improved through that process. That's, that's right? very kind. Thanks. No, definitely. Uh, and I, I was really happy that that was um, such response and that so many people were willing to take the time and 
come experience and see. So honestly, yeah, that, that's awesome. what made it like uh, shoulder to shoulder packed when I showed up. That was a good, uh, good evening. And, <laughs> man, you're so. Are you telling me you still have some of those oil paintings? I have. I have a number of them. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we can do a trade if you want. I would love to have one of your paintings. Well, you know, I'd love to, but my paintings are like not oil paintings they're pretty care. quick maybe <laughs> oh, if you man. have a, a smaller one um yeah let's talk about that we'll figure maybe. it out all right yeah tell, tell sure. people tell people how they can find your work online so they can go see all sure. the beauties <clears throat> instagram is at j winchester art and my website is winchesterart.ca go look it up it's uh i should have said this earlier i always do this thing i get into conversation by people if you're listening go look at his plenaries it's uh Incredible the use of color, atmosphere, storytelling, lighting. It's I mean it's all there. So uh, so cool. And I, Thanks, I, I I hope one day you get to post more of your production work because I really want to see how that influences the production work because I think yeah, that's crossing that's, my fingers. Yeah, because <clears throat> I think that's where people are gonna really gonna learn the value of like you said, studying and plein air painting and how can that can apply because some people think it's separate and it's not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well look look at the the greatest uh animation studios and filmmakers of all time and they're those those artists are either life drawing or plein air painting or painting still lifes they're they're all doing that stuff yep for sure so you Oof. know that says a lot all right gang if you want to find out more about creative through podcast uh facebook and instagram create through podcast and if you know someone you should speak to or you have something to say just uh find us there otherwise thanks so much for listening and thanks to jesse winchester schmidt for being an amazing guest and just taking a time like i said i, I know you have family and a busy guy and you're dedicated so this really really means a lot uh, it's my pleasure Elia. it's so nice to connect with you man uh, i do really hope we get to hang out and chat some more sometime sooner than later.